My name is Val Kilmer. I've lived a magical life. And I've captured quite a bit of it. I was the first guy I knew to own a video camera. I have thousands of hours of videotapes and film reels that I've shot throughout my life and career. I've kept everything. And it's been sitting in boxes for years. Let's get together. I'll say it first. We all love Val. And it's time for Kill Me Cast. Yeah, it's time for Kill Me Cast. Welcome to Kill Me Cast. Here is your host, Francis Rizzo III. Thanks, Bernard. Welcome to all the Val Pals out there listening to a new episode of KilmerCast. I'm your host, Francis Rizzo III, and I'm here to talk about the films of Val Kilmer, one of the most truly fascinating American film actors of the modern era. On this special episode, we'll be talking about Kilmer's most recent role, as he plays himself in the new documentary Val, with our guests, the co-directors of the film, Leo Scott and Ting Poo. They were gracious enough to share some time to talk about the making of the documentary and what it was like to work with Val and his family. If you have not yet watched this excellent film, we do discuss portions of the movie, so there are some spoilers you may want to avoid. So please make sure to watch the film on Amazon Prime before listening, and then when you're done, please enjoy this special director's edition of KilmerCast. Thank you for joining me today to talk about Val, your new documentary about Val Kilmer. Uh, I'm with today Leo Scott and Ting Vu. Uh, Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, yeah. So for my normal episodes of Kilmer Cast, I asked the guests what their favorite film from the Kilmer canon is. And since you both have such intimate experience now with the Kilmer canon, I'm really curious to see what your choices are. I mean, our, our, my choice might be obvious. I mean, my favorite performance of his is Tombstone. Mm. I, I just think he, he just put together such a singular iconic character in that film down to the way he spoke and the way he moves and just his whole affectation I thought was brilliant and just like a completely new human being um completely. So I, physicality is so important in that role completely um and but my favorite movie is probably Real Genius just because it's the movie that you know as it's it's like a movie I watched over and over again as in my adolescence. And Absolutely. Kind of like when it's on TV, you don't turn it off. You just watch it till the end. Get to you know the want to see the popcorn um, explode in the house and and it also is just like such a triumphant movie for nerds. Mm, you know, absolutely. Growing up, someone relatively nerdy myself, um, <laughs> just seeing such a cool guy with you know and and that intellect and 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 being super smart is actually really cool i'd say my favorite performance i'll start with as well is actually his theater performance of um mark twain um that's because i spent a long time working on that project and i was around that character for so long so i feel a closeness to it but in terms of favorite movie it's an obvious choice but i would say top gun mm. um and the reason for that you know, I, I loved Tombstone as well, and I love Top Secret, but Top Gun is, it, it was the film that I just first remember memorizing, you know, <laughs> the first song I remember memorizing was a Madonna song, the first movie I remember memorizing was Top Gun, it's like just something that even now, if it's on TV, I just can't, I'll just have to watch it to the end, and what Val did in that character, like just 
just um, sort of stays with you, that Iceman character. Yeah, two definitely, those roles between those two, Real Genius and Top Gun, both very early in his career, and yet such Billy forms, such complete characters in each role. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, he just brings this dedication to the, the characters he plays, you know, so when he turns up on set, you know, got to witness it now, and, you know, both of us have in seeing all this material that we've been working with, and even before then, like just how much preparation he does. So when he shows up on set, he is that character. He understands everything about them. Now, I had my own reasons for creating a podcast about Val Kilmer, but what was your goal in approaching the film, Val? What was, in the end, what did you want to uh, show the world? I mean, I think we really wanted to show, I, I, you know, because he's such an enigmatic actor and he can disappear so well into these different characters, you don't really get a sense of who he is as a person, you know? Um, and I think we, he's a remarkable human being. I, and we really just wanted to show people that side of him and get a chance to hang out with him. Like I, I, I always wanted to, wondered what it would be like to be in a room with him. Mm. And hopefully you get, get that from the film. Yeah, I mean, I would, you know, second that and just say, you know, I, when I first met Val, I had no idea what he was going to be like. And then discovering what an incredible artist, what incredible layered person, like, like old soul, um, hilarious human being. It's the funniest person I've got to meet in my life so far. And um, and great father and incredible at his craft. So we wanted, you know, to people to understand him. And it almost took some a sort of film like you know, almost harder to maybe film is the only form that can really fully describe who he is in a way. It's funny you said that you didn't know him that much, but he is one of the most famous actors of his generation, pretty much because of the films he made and the you know genre kind of classics he did. Is there something you thought you knew about him when you started this film that was completely wrong? Well, well in you my kind case, of thought he'd be Iceman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but going back to like, I mean, it's like when you, the question was when we started this film. And I suppose because I was working, got to know him like 10 years ago at first, you know, so when I first met him um, in person, I just had a, I had a sort of, different you know preconceived idea who he'd be i didn't realize what an artist he was like you know how how much texture he has even in his in his all around him you know even from the checkered shirts he wears to his furniture there's so much texture and you know there's there's lots of like um artistry and and you know he's got he's constantly you know drawing and writing poems and like he's just got so much sort of creative things Energy. swirling around him yeah the whole time and i just had no idea about that I just really didn't. And then the more you look into, like, you get to know him in the present, but also the more you kind of get to see him in the past, the more you discover that's a thing that's been there as long as he's been here, you know? Now, you said you worked with him for a long time on the Mark Twain project. Now, obviously, he has a reputation for being, whether it's deserved or not, difficult to collaborate with. So was your experience in the end totally different than what you heard, or was it somewhat of what you heard? I can only speak, you know, my, my own experiences of, of, of Val working with him. He, he is really collaborative and he actually br he's, he's brings certain magic, you know, like um, he's, 
he gives things to you in a more interesting way than you're expecting. And if you're open to them, he gives them to you even more. He brings an intensity and, mm. and that's real. I, you know, he's, he's an, he's an intense human and also a creative force. But I think like, like Leo says, um, he, he has his own creative mind and super high standards. And often the things that you, if you have an idea about what you want and what, what, what you're gonna get from him that day, you're probably not gonna get it, but he knows what it is you're trying to get. And he'll give it to you in a much, if you're, much better, different way that, than you could have ever imagined. And you just have to be ready for, for when it happens. You know, it's like, it could be, the next day and then offhandedly like he does something amazing and you're just like oh like <laughs> you know but and so it's like you 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 have to go on that journey and trust because he's 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 you know has a he also has his own creative vision and then he knows how to give you and and what's needed to tell a good story in the end so he really is a collaborator. <laughs> maybe some people, maybe Complete. some people don't want to collaborate. <laughs> and let's just lots of people also collaborate. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's... I think you'll get you'll get you'll get just as many people saying that they had the experience we had. Um, but yeah, there's a there's an intensity, and 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 I think that's actually that's it's valuable. You know, it forces everybody to do a little bit better. Hmm. Yeah, especially in a creative field like filmmaking, if people aren't bringing something to the table, if everybody isn't bringing something, you have nothing in the end. Exactly. And you you just have to match and be ready. And, you know, I think he he was, in, in the end, he was incredibly generous with us in terms of, of his time, uh, you know, and his collaboration. We, we would cut lots of little scenes. Like when we would come across something in the footage and be like, oh, this is a moment, like this is a, this is a killer moment. Um, we'd cut a little scene around it and, and bring it to him. And, and that would spark memory, that would spark stories from that. And there was, there was a lot of back and forth in that manner. Now you just mentioned editing and I, I wanted to touch on something about that. Uh, I'm sure in the end, obviously, there's stuff that doesn't make it into the film. Was there something in particular, a moment that, couldn't make it into the final cut that you really struggled with? Well, a moment that I particularly was sad to lose, which is more of a fun moment. It was a hilarious moment from Life's Too Short, where Bowers is, um, it's a Ricky Gervais comedy, Stephen Merchant, and uh, Val is dressed as Batman, and he, he takes off his mask, and and the receptionist in that office there doesn't doesn't recognize who he is. And it's very funny. <laughs> she goes through every other Batman while he's in the Batman mask and, and <laughs> leaving him out. And, and it ends with, are you an actor? <laughs> and it was, a, it was very funny and humorous. You know, Val's, Val, I know, had a lot of fun doing that shoot. And we kind of had that little moment in the film, but it actually just, the flow wasn't really working um, because we were kind of like quite a deep moment then it didn't seem quite it was just a kind of one of these flow things it is tons of those sorts of things that happen along the, the editing process where you have to lose something that's important to you or actually the film works better without it even though yeah there's wonderful people and characters too who drift in and out of his life and the footage you know there's like Werner Herzog shows up and and David Crosby and and just like 
he has wonderful friendships with people with other artists and other filmmakers, which we would have loved to have included, but we we had to stick pretty strictly to to telling the story of of his evolution as an artist and the things that happened throughout his life that affected him as a human being. So sadly, there are a lot of jazz on the cutting room floor. There's also this incredible road trip that he did off the back of Real Genius, where he drove across America with John Greaves. <laughs> And they've got a VHS camera. They're staying in, in like uh, motels along the way, and they're just Stop like couple in Memphis and, and stay at the Heartbreak Hotel. And... Oh yeah, I mean it, it's really watchable. Even in an uncut version, you can watch like an hour of that stuff. It's really fun, and you're listening to what they're listening to on the radio, the car radio. And it's kind of very much of the moment, you know, 1983, whatever. Do you think there's yeah. any chance we'll see that footage on home video, perhaps? I mean, that's not been discussed so far. I mean, there's there's potential for other. Th- projects you know because there's you know this is like a, a life story but there's also like horizontal tangents you could take off this story and go deep into a certain area whether it's the twain film still a great film you know and we have the material to tell an incredible story about creating the role of twain or whether we you know look at um you know it'd be really nice to to really look further into those incredible films of his younger brother, Weddy, and the films that, that those King's kids. Um, there's other stories in that, and there's also some documentaries which Falvin gets complete. You could, there's things in there, for sure, and then there's, lots, and there's lots in there that we, you know, you could come back to, for sure. Maybe that road trip is one of them. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned Mark Twain. Um, obviously, the, that's a large portion of the end of the film here. And uh, it's a really one of the most emotional portions of the film. And um, I was curious, because obviously you were involved in a lot of the Mark Twain work. Most of Val Kilmer's fans may not have even been aware of that because it was only in person. It wasn't presented on film. Is there, a ch- is there enough footage of that time, of that work, to possibly release one day? Yeah, I mean, I, I was only I wasn't involved in the making of the play. I was just kind of with Val while he was touring and workshopping mm-hmm. it, and you know, and really delving into that character. So you know, the makeup tests, endless makeup tests, you know, to make the nose ten percent better, or you know, the practicing the dialect again, and again, you know, watching back the the workshops and the early plays to perfect his performance. Incredible discipline and. Kind of constantly reviewing and improving and and yeah we were de- we were doing sort of story entry around that character and it, we've spoken about coming back to and of course there is the play itself the people who got to see the play um you know it toured quite quite a lot in the us and then uh, people obviously didn't get to see it but then when val wasn't able to perform the play he took the film of the play which was a filmed version from Pasadena Playhouse. He took the road a few years back and a lot of people got to see that. And, you know, it's, it's, there's other versions, incredible version from the, and, you know, that it's, you know, watch this space. You might, we might, you know, put, put the, the play out there because it is a masterpiece and it is something that he wants to, people to, to answer the question. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now you mentioned, you know, we talked about Mark Twain, you mentioned before that, Val Kilmer has a really good sense of humor. And that's something that I don't know if many people know that. And we get to see that a lot through the behind the scenes footage. Was that something that was really key to being able to tell this story? Was his 
own personal sense of humor, especially about himself. He doesn't seem to take himself as seriously as people might think he does. Yeah, I mean, not not at all. Like he's he's hilarious. Um, and you know, when you're in the room with him, it's 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 a laugh a minute. Um, so he's constantly making jokes and and you know, like in a in a very mysterious manner will like mess with you, which is like fun and awesome. But I hope, I mean, I hope a little bit of that comes. I mean, while we were shooting, he would he would pretend to pass out like for in front of Leo, you know, almost every shoot. And <laughs> and every time Leo's every single time Leo's like, oh no, like because it's like, yeah. you know, if I Yeah, the time he sort of collapses and faints in the film is like probably the second time. It wasn't the first. The first, literally, the camera drops. <laughs> the second time it sort of is placed down and the third time is like you know a couple of seconds like you, each time you shoot longer and longer <laughs> you know being like is this still and then you're like oh no <laughs> he never breaks you know until you actually run over to him <laughs> yeah. yeah now unfortunately you know taking this a little more seriously his condition did obviously make his voice very difficult to work with and obviously at some point you made a decision that you know, he couldn't narrate this film probably. Uh, when was that decision made and was it his side or was it more your side to decide to go with his son, Jack, as the voice? I mean, it, it was- It was more, I was more our side. I mean, it was more our side to have a VO-driven film too. We really wanted this film to be told from, because of the intimate nature of the footage, we wanted this film to be told through his voice and you're right because of his challenges we couldn't ask him to narrate the whole film jack was our first choice immediately you know leo because leo knew him and had known the family for a long time and he was around while we were began shooting val today he's a big part of val's life today he was the logical choice and thankfully he he was totally on board to do it but I think we were all pretty surprised at, at at how much he ended up sounding like Val throughout the film. And, you know, like so much so that it, we were like, when we were cutting together the open or how to how to introduce him as the narrator, like like we we did it pretty early in the film because we didn't want people to be confused throughout the film and, and distracted by like, is this Val? Who is this? Is this, you know, somebody they cast to sound like Val? Um, but he brought a lot to that voiceover, both both in terms of his performance and just emotionally, you know, being his son. I have to say, because um, this film was the first time I've heard Val Kilmer's voice in his current condition. I had not heard it before this. And so it was a bit of a shock to hear it after introducing Jack and then hearing it, hearing him in person. And I was like, oh, wow, it really, he has lost that tool that was so powerful. And I think that, uh, it's an unfortunate thing, but it also added a real power to the film because you really got to see the change from Jack, the young voice, to Val Kilmer, the current voice, uh, which I thought was, an, you know, really, uh, it gave a, a bit more heft to his situation if you didn't know what was happening beforehand. Right. Yeah, I mean, um, we thought it was, you know, the smart thing to do to explain early on to people who needed to, some some more context in the last few years. and. And so we, so we did voice where Val is now, uh, right at the beginning when we're first introducing Val in the present day, and then we introduce whose whose voice that is, and then so we kind of sort of set the audience up with the information they need 
before the sort of story of ours life starts um, a few minutes in. And that seemed to be, we experimented with quite a lot of different things around that in this, the structure and the storytelling. And that was the one that it seemed to be the smartest way to do it. Now you mentioned how intimate this film can get. Uh, one of the scenes, there's a scene at a convention that is easily, in my opinion, the most vulnerable we see Val. Was there any consideration to not including that? Because it is really intensely intimate to watch him really suffering in that moment. No, he wasn't, you know, he was, in fact, he wasn't even discouraging us from using it or even shooting it in the first place. You know, it was kind of challenges that he's currently facing. And that day, you know, he was not feeling great and, but he didn't want to, stop filming and he also didn't want to didn't want us to stop necessarily stop he didn't also want to he wanted to come back you know he didn't it was he was there to for fans and he managed to get back up and it was um and it felt like an important thing to show right yeah i mean it's a, it, it's it was a it's a part of his life today and i i think he recognizes you know i am with that and everything else, I mean, even explaining his tracheostomy to the camera, um, he has been very open and brave about including all of those things. And, and you know, was never what was really like, you need to take that out. I, I think if anything, he knows that people need to understand and also be brought up to speed because you, you, you're, you know, as, as you said, that was the first time you'd ever heard, heard him speak. Now, um, during the film, one of the sequences uh, involves him going to Arizona after the passing of his mother. Did that happen during the production of the documentary? And how was that, uh, how did, did he come to you with that information or you were on the scene when it happened? Well, actually, we early on in the process, we bought Val a camcorder, 4K camcorder, so he could kind of continue what he was doing, you know, back in the 80s with the camcorder, you know, or the 90s with the mini TV, et cetera. And we, we bought him that, cam, that camcorder so that he could, you know, maybe capture some moments where we we weren't there. So on that, when his mother passed away and he flies to, goes to Arizona to commit her, we weren't we weren't there, and it, we we it was a surprise to see that footage. And and um, when we were reviewing it, Ting actually she was the one who spotted this this connection between this uh, material from the eighties approaching the house. Do you want to speak to that? Or? Oh yeah, I mean. Yeah, he surprised us with that footage, and it's remarkable, like, because I had seen the footage of him visiting his mom in Arizona from the 80s, and it's just remarkable the the, the way that he shot it and the things that, the specific things that he did, it was almost completely mirrored. Um, and I recognized right away, I was like, I've seen this car ride. I've seen that thing. I've seen, you know, like entering the door. It's just like, it was a beautiful continuation of the thing that he's been doing his entire life. So it was, a, it was one of those opportunities, just wonderful opportunities to, to intercut those moments together hopefully in a really emotional fashion. I remember that scene in particular. It was actually a very important scene in the making of the film, I remember, because Ting sent that to me. And, you know, we, we kind of, I was actually in London, I think, at the time. Well, I think I'd been in Europe, but, but um, I was in Italy and in London. I remember seeing that scene, and it was the moment to me when the film, this is, this is the sort of essence of the film. And we were early on in the process of the actual, right, of the sort of assembly of the, 
That was you one know, of the first scenes, or yeah. one of the early scenes that we put together. And it could have been actually around the time of Comic-Con in London, I remember showing that to Val, and it was a very potent scene. Like it, to me, it's like almost the most um, sort of raw and, and um, visceral thing in the whole film. Um, and it was very, you know, moving for Val. Yeah, it definitely has. Um, it feels like it's unfortunate again because his mother passes, but it really ties everything together very neatly in the film because it brings together his ex-wife, his kids, because, you know, at the end of the film, you're really moving into truly Val Kilmer of today. And that's kind of like a, a pass, pass away through it goes where it's his past going away and now it's all about his to get his family together again once more and you can tell that story and i think it's you know it's an unfortunate like i said unfortunate but it is i think a very key element of this film yeah hmm. and it was beautiful that they were all there together you know for, mm -hmm. for that moment now you mentioned how you do all this footage and putting it all together and that was one of the first pieces can you talk a bit about the process of taking this mountain of footage that you had this on like decades of home videos and film and cells and all this stuff. How did you approach such a mountain of a job? <laughs> I mean, the short, the short and unsexy answer is that you just sit down and start watching. But also, I mean, I have to say, like, it, it sounds like, like a long and difficult process, but it really wasn't. It was wonderful. It was wonderful to sit down every day and not know what you were going to see not know like what amazing you know moment would 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 all of a sudden pop up on a tape um so even though it took a long time i think it, it was it was incredibly rewarding i mean we saw things every day that that just you know made me laugh and really just inspired me i mean there's so many hours of Val really dissecting these different roles, working really hard. I mean, I think we, we tried to show a little bit of that Hamlet, even in the course of many years, like mm -hmm. he kept coming back to this character. You know, he had a dream to play him and, and he did uh, end up playing him in the Colorado Shakespeare Festival. Um, but, you know, years of work went into that. Um, and so, so it's just like, it's just a remarkable record of somebody who is incredibly passionate of what, at what they do. You've talked about your editing on this film. Uh, there's some really interesting transitions using Val's art and um, using putting him basically in the frame to move things, introduce them to the next thing, or like the scene with the mo his mother. Uh, can you talk a bit about how that came about? Well, Val ha has been scrapbooking for decades, you know, on and off. But in the last few years, he has been returning to physical art more and more as he's done less movies. And He's been keeping these incredible scrapbooks, um, which are kind of insight into his mind in a way. Like uh, they're very fascinating, and and um, we were kind of inspired by these scrapbooks early on, and we wanted to include the the feeling of the, the physical, include them both physically in the film, but also sort of in, be inspired by them in the construction of the film. And I think the showing him early on in that opening scene, him making you know, making a sort of page on the scrap on this on the scrapbook in his in his place in LA. Um that was kind of the introduction to 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 that world. But then we thought it would be an interesting way to chapterize the film, just to give it some sort of extra structure. 
and you know, then he was he you know again you know we pictured him just writing we had the, the chapters in mind what we wanted to call them but then he completely flipped it and made them so much more interesting the names of the names of them how he you know Moreau was what was it the um, island is Moreau, is Moreau and, yeah, you know, can you just write the island of the island is Dr. Moreau well, like every time you'll like yeah. sort of spin it in a more interesting way and we yeah we we actually included those elements into existing real scrapbooks that he's got in his in his studios in East Hollywood. Um, they are really they're they are a, a peek inside his head, and they're beautiful. Like they're 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 beautifully put together, and 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 really like just re reflect his personality and the color, like how colorful of a person that he is. And he is all these different elements put together. Um, and, you know, it was really, it was a really daunting task to try and, and, and put, you know, give a full picture of who he is. And I think it's a, actually an impossible task, but we tried to just show as many different sides to him as possible um, throughout the film. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because the scrapbooks are a big part of it. You know, he carries them around time to time you like when we're in shooting a moment in palm springs and you'll go in you know late at night and he'll be scrapbooking and he's been doing this with his friend ali his best friend ali alborzi who's like creative partner and friend and they've been doing that stuff since like the time of like wonderland and even before i think but like he's like um it's another form of his expression you know so whether do i write a, you know write a poem or, or uh, creating a page in a scrapbook or a piece of art. It's, um, it's another form of his expression. He's, he even writes on his clothes. You know, he's, it's amazing. Like, he's, a, he's and really cool. And he'll write cool. on your clothes if, yeah. too, if you're lucky. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've been stopped by famous people I've seen out like, hey, where, how, where do you get those from? He's sort of, they're very sort of, uh, <laughs> one of a kind. He does it in the film even, he signs, People's clothes at the, the um, Tombstone fan event. Now, that's it. You mentioned the Tombstone fan event. And we see him there, and we also see him at the convention. And I love the portion where he talks about how he should feels like he should be embarrassed about promoting his past, essentially, a person he's no longer. Um, was that, uh, whose decision was it to follow him on those, uh, those trips to show that side of his career, his post-stardom, I guess you would maybe call it, uh, where he is kind of indulging in some nostalgia for the past of his career. The, the film is constructed with two timelines, uh, just to give you some context. As you, you know, you've seen the film, but it's the past and then it's the present. And we were trying to find creative ways of interweaving these two timelines and so that, that they can intersect at, at moments so we can kind of reflect back from the present into the past. And it it so happened that, that you know there was a event going on in Austin for Tombstone. And I mean that same weekend they also did Top Gun too. So there were there were two events that so and 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 we shot both and thinking like you know one of these is going to be a way way in or way out of the past. Um, and we ended up using the Tombstone one just thematically. It would it, it worked the best in, in terms of our film. Um, but yeah, we're always looking for ways in which, which you know, 
to to connect the two, the past and the present. Same with when we when um, we went back when Leo, you went back to Chatsworth with him. Yeah, and New York. And, and New York and going to Juilliard and it's it's Tombstone was a big film and Top Gun was a big film. And so when there was a a weekend dedicated to both, like we knew it was gonna be yeah important. And so yeah, the the this things were happening in his schedule and we kind of went along with him on some many of those things and it just so happened that he revealed this this insight during that during that that um, time, you know, it was quite it was quite amazing seeing a thousand people outdoor with cap guns, you know, celebrating this character from more than twenty years ago, you know, and um, it's still really potent now. That film was pretty much a perfect film. Absolutely, and you know, you talk about his films, his early films in here a lot in the movie and then at some point um things kind of speed up and obviously it's the point of his career where he was no longer the leading man he was no longer the star of the show and you go through several films rapid fire was there any consideration to putting a little more time into his later career or was that not really the point of the story and so you kind of just said you know what we don't need to spend a lot of time on that I think it, I think a, a lot of it had to do with time, and also we wanted to we wanted to get to Twain, mm-hmm. um, which was which was such a seminal part of his career. It was the thing that he and allocate enough time to really give that character weight. Um, he'd been working on it for ten years. You know, I mean, he did many films and and a lot of great films during those later years, but this was his his baby you know it was his brainchild and so it was it was you know it's like in terms of that we wanted to truncate it a little bit mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's amazing when you watch this film how many you know most films have you know three acts this film feels like it has like five or six because there's so many important emotional moments you hit as you go along towards the end of the film where you're like, oh, was this another one and another one? And you're, you don't, most films don't get to build that way. And then when you get to Twain, it really is, like you said, the culmination of everything he's been working on. And it really brings all the themes of this film together. So just perfectly, it's amazing. When you're sitting in the editing room, you must think, how did we get so lucky that this was at this point in his career that we could have it fit so perfectly and natural into this movie? well i mean going back a few years you know we were looking at this twain project you know and the aim was to take twain to broadway you know that's that was the that was the objective of the of the play and like you know to and he was it was on that path it really was and it was getting really well received and it was getting better and better and that could have been a another sort of ending had we ended on of of this film, we ended on Broadway, and it was to be a life story. But then, you know, he had to abandon that tour. So, I mean, I, I would say, you know, Val also had like he says at the beginning of the film, he's had sort of a magical life, and he's had ups and downs, and it's it's so rich and so many twists and turns. I mean, you know, as a boy, he was making Batman sort of animations with his brother, and then he became Batman. It's it's quite you know incredible also because we had so much access to the process of him creating twain um it, i i you know i 
think we drop little pieces throughout about the ways in which he approaches characters and how he brings a little bit of himself to them. And then, you know, there's a back and forth with, with, with him and, and the character that he's trying to embody. And I think Twain is the culmination of that. Um, there's so much of Twain that, that he reveres as a person. And there's so much crossover between Twain and his own life. I don't think it's an accident that that was the character that he dedicated a decade of his life to. Um, and, and so it seems like a perfect accident for the film, but it, it wasn't an accident because, you know, he was an incredibly seasoned actor by the time he picked the project that was going to be the thing that he was going to dedicate himself to for a decade, you know? And it was returning to stage, you know, like, so it's, a, you know, it's, it does seem so yeah, it's, it's a kind of a return to the beginning and to his roots. Yeah. And so obviously you collaborate with Val Kilmer on the film. You collaborate with Jack, obviously, as the narrator. And his daughter, Mercedes, is also a pretty big part in the film. Did they watch the film before it was finished? Or did you show them everything at the end? And if so, what was the reaction to it once they finally saw the film? I mean, Jack was obviously seeing, you know, because he's narrating, He's narrating to picture, so he he was and you know he was involved so early on that he was seeing those very formative assemblies. Um, so he was seeing along the way Mercedes. Um, I mean, she she was um, helping us make these scenes, and she did an amazing job. Um, and there's some other footage that I'd love to include as well, like her playing the harp, for instance. And, um, incredible singer like incredible voice it's like every time it just stuns me and um it, it there's she was uh, sort of would have seen less and it was really special to be able to watch it in can i think she saw the she had seen scenes throughout but she she saw the completed thing in can and that was like a really special experience sitting next to her she was just i think really happy with it and just you know laughing throughout i mean for them they're watching their dad you know it's it's completely different perspective than anybody else on the planet and she felt it like the film understood him which is the best compliment we can have you know and it's it meant a lot what about val when val finally watched the entire film and his whole was his reaction well, well val was being involved along yeah yeah he saw like I mean, he saw like a two and a half hour assembly at one point. But I do remember when he when 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 we were getting into some more of the fine cutting and we presented what we thought like this is it. And he wrote back to us and was like, that's it. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, it's really not. That was it was like he was involved in terms of like the, the process of making the film and him him reflecting back on on his own life and what, you know, he was making his, writing his autobiography around that time. And that the filming, these, some of this material was helping inform the writing of that book. And then equally, some of the things he was writing was helping us inspire some of the things in our film. And, um, and it was, so it was a really like kind of point in his life is like, got a lot of look, looking back. He's always, he's always like looking forward and he makes so many, always onto the next projects in his art and, is now his studios where he's sort of um, hosting other artists and uh, community projects and all sorts of things. So, yeah, it was um, a really kind of special time, I'd say. 
and there's a shot towards the end of the film where you have Mercedes and Val at their doors. Maybe I'm dense and I didn't realize how it was set up, but is like that really hit me. I was like, oh wait, they're like right there next to each other the whole time throughout this whole sequence. And I'm like, wow, like I didn't realize it. What a great setup and the delivery on that. Um, <laughs> what was the thought there? Because I you you hit that the whole time, and it was really a great reveal there. Oh yeah. I mean, it's so funny, you know, it's so love, beautiful and sweet that they live so close together uh, <laughs> at that time. And um, yeah, it was a lot of fun making that little bill scene. And, you know, it was really, <laughs> it was actually pretty well, well done because like it's hard, it was quite funny. You know, it's, the, it's a totally like fabricated reveal, but like, I think of uh, like a funny, like a, a pretty amazing like movie moment, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, it just felt good to see it. Like when it happened, it was like, oh, look at that. Yeah. <laughs> like any great film nowadays, there's a post-credit sequence in Val. How was the decision made to include that at that scene at the end of the credits? Well, I suppose we decided early on, like, you know. The whole credit sequence or the after, after the credits, there's a sequence from uh one of his most from uh the most infamous film he's made. Nelson. <laughs> yeah. Um, how was that decision made to include that at the end of the film like that? Because it was such a little like treat, little surprise at the yeah. end. <laughs> I, I mean, it was a I mean is there any better sign-off than that? <laughs> like when when i can't when we came across that little piece just like that's the that's the that's the very end you know yeah it's like say lovey yeah. adios yeah <laughs> um, so there wasn't a lot of decision making involved <laughs> thank you so much for this time i really appreciate you spending the time and for making this film which i mean i really enjoyed watching and i I'm so happy that all the reaction to it has been very positive for you. Thank you. Thanks for having Thanks us. Thanks for on. having us. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> That's it for this episode of KilmerCast. I'd like to thank Leo Scott and Ting Poo for their time and for making such an engaging portrait of Val Kilmer. I'd also like to thank A24 and Amazon for helping make sure this episode could happen. In our next episode, we'll be heading to 2008 and behind bars for the prison drama Felon. In the meanwhile, please email any thoughts, questions, or comments to kilmercast at gmail.com and follow the show on Twitter at KilmerCast. For myself and my guests, thank you for listening and remember to keep it Kilmer. Kilmer.